Welcome back to Camden Cast, your Baltimore Orioles podcast from CamdenChat.com. Once again, I'm Mark Brown, Eat More SK on Camden Chat, joined by Andrew Gibson. Andrew, last time we spoke, we were uh, we were in Orange Kool Aid territory. I think now we're more in the uh, Red Alert territory. We got Klingon Birds of Prey decloaking off the starboard bow. They're uh, <laughs> they're not answering hails and they're powering up their phasers, and uh, that's about where we are now. I was always more of a Star Wars person myself. I was too, but I've been saving up that joke for like a week <laughs> since that eight-game losing streak, so I couldn't miss up the chance to get started with it. So uh, we're actually feeling good tonight. We're recording this after Tuesday's victory over the Boston Red Sox, where even Kevin Gregg recorded a save. Uh, but recent games since our last podcast have left us feeling a little bit disappointed, so I thought we could each touch on our top three biggest disappointments of the, per, uh, of the last two weeks or so. So my number one, and it kills me to have to say this, is actually going to be Brian Roberts, because he's come on and he's got... Crap, I already forget if he got a hit tonight. But he had an 11-game hitting streak coming into tonight. <laughs> and uh, so that was good because his, his bat really needed to lighten up. But honestly, it just right now it hurts me to watch him in the field because really he can't get to anything. And he had the error tonight where he tried to backhand a ball he really didn't need to. And, that's you know, that happens. But it just seems like he doesn't have any range right now compared to what he used to and it's just it's a little painful to watch he's looking old he uh, i mean that's sort of what happens second baseman as a as a species i guess they uh they don't really age very well and i don't know what exactly it is about second baseman that makes them sort of fall apart once they hit right around where brian roberts is age-wise but um yeah, he, he doesn't look good out there. Uh, it, it was funny. I went to the game on this past Saturday where the Yankees destroyed the Orioles. And, uh, well, that was a good I, one I for went, you to be at then, huh? Uh, yeah, terrible. Um, I went with my family, and we were walking out, and my uncle took me aside, and the one player he singled out in that whole mess was Brian Roberts because the defensive effort just wasn't there. And I don't know if it's, I mean, he's had a lot of back injuries and, and stuff, and he's just getting old. I mean, it, it's, I don't know. It's, I, it I sucks just, to I, see, and I'm sure it must for you since we've talked on the podcast before about how you feel like this is the Brian Roberts era of the Baltimore Orioles. So it's, uh, it's, it's painful to just see what he's looking like in the field right now. It really is. Well, it could just be, you know, a slump or the losing streak getting to him a little bit or I mean I I don't think it's any anything like that but it you know it, he's made a bad week of plays basically and we could be coming back in two weeks and talking again and he could have made a whole bunch of web gems and we will have forgotten all about that this. would be great that's that is the advantage of early in the season it can all turn around but in the meantime Next disappointment for me is uh, Nick Markakis, and that kills me too because that's the one guy whose jersey I have right now. But he really doesn't look good at the plate right now. It just seems like all of his contact is just a weak rounder to first baseman or second baseman. Really just pressing and trying to get, I don't know, maybe he feels like he needs to carry the team on his back, something. But he's rocking. Going into tonight, he had a 208. Average two seventy nine on base. Ugh. Sucks. That's that's Cesar Esteras twenty eleven or twenty ten territory right there. Well, you know it's not going to last. Is I think the the key thing with Nick at the plate. I mean, nobody just falls apart like that when they're that talented and uh, you know they're. I mean, Nick's not an old guy. Right, age 27 season. Same age as me. So if Nick's getting too old for baseball, that's really bad for me in life, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, he, he's going to bounce back. He's going to be fine. Um, I'm a little worried, I guess, power-wise. Uh, it, it seems like we say it every year about Nick Markakis, but 
I mean, we were saying it in our uh, preseason podcast, the the inaugural Camden cast, about where is Nick Marquez's power? And it's still not, uh, it's even worse now than it than it has been. Right. But I think the important thing. I mean, we're talking about less than ninety plate appearances total. That's a slump. It's an extended slump, but every player slumps. And when Nick Marcakis comes out of it, I have no doubt whatsoever that come the end of the season, the numbers are going to be there. None. None whatsoever. It's not even a, a thought in my mind. I am sure he will come out of it, too, because let's, his five seasons, his lowest on base is 347, and right now, yeah, 279. So unless he's just somehow got the yips, which certainly we hope that's not the case, there's... You know, I'm sure he'll bring it up to respectable levels with some hot streak where we'll be ruining the day we ever, well, I ever said that Nick Marcakis was disappointing. I would love to have people telling me what an idiot I am for thinking I'm wrong. Cause... I mean, it's tough because he's the number two hitter, and while we're going through his slump, and at the same time, the guys hitting directly behind him are slumping, uh, you know, we're losing games because of that. And I think that's what's really tough to deal with. It's not a case of me being worried about Nick Marcakis's development as a player or anything like that. Just, I, I don't like losing games because Nick Marcakis comes up and you start rolling your eyes. I mean, it, it's weird and uncomfortable and I don't, I don't like it. It is. It is pretty weird and uncomfortable. I have to agree. So... Number three, disappointment. Actually, those weren't in any particular order. That was probably three, two, and then this is number one, disappointment for me. But, and this guy technically doesn't count as a disappointment because I expected him to suck, but um, I just need to call out and give some demerits to Kevin Gregg because, seriously, I mean, I didn't want them to sign him to begin with. And the giving up that home run to Jorge Posada in Yankee Stadium, just I can't, I can't take it. I mean, obviously, the second game, he almost blew, uh, you know, the thing, and... <laughs> he hasn't had a lot of clean outings Right, he, he really hasn't, and... He had a clean one tonight, where he looked... I, he didn't look good, because he's still Kevin Gregg, but uh, he looked like a reasonable relief pitcher out there, um, and that was nice to see, yeah. I, you know, he's, I mean, I've written about this on the site. He's not a great pitcher. And the only argument you can make that he's a great pitcher, a great closer, is in saves. And saves are a terrible way of judging anybody. Right. I mean, tonight he, he gets a, a save run for his three-run lead. Exactly right. Right. Like, I mean, that's not, that's not a... <clears throat> Let me uh, write myself here. Um, people talk about the quality start statistic. Uh, its detractors talk about how, well, quality start, that's six innings and three or less runs. That's a 4.5 ERA. That's not very quality to me. Well, a save, you can get 40 saves coming in with three run leads, give up two runs every inning. Over 40 outings, you end up with something like an 8 ERA. 40 saves, no blown saves. I mean, is that quality? That doesn't sound like quality. Yeah, I it's, think the difference with those gig. two stats is the quality start, you can get like one or two with luck into you know, six innings, three earned runs, but if you're not a great pitcher, you're going to get you know, five innings, four earned runs, or six innings, five earned runs. Well, no, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to... Uh deride the quality start stat it's it's just i mean this this save statistic is is arbitrary like what makes a three-run lead that much harder to it's save just because whoever said that laid down the dictate way back in the old days and somehow in 2011 we're stuck with kevin Gregg. and it, uh, it makes no sense it doesn't it's, it's and just it's managing your team backwards it, it doesn't make any sense to me at all just on a completely irrational, non-stat-based level, I personally blame Kevin Gregg for about half of that eight-game losing streak because if they had won that game against the Yankees, you're talking good momentum. And, 
Yogi Berra with his 90% of baseball is half mental. I, I, I personally am a big believer in that. Well, when I wow. want to be a believer in it, I am. But um, <laughs> No, but I'm I mean, it's, it, it just really drains the life of the team. And you could just tell they were just pretty much toast for the rest Absolutely. of that road trip. Yeah. Because, maybe not because of that game, but uh, well, after that I game. I mean, if, if you want to talk about reliever performances draining the team, let's go to one of my disappointments. Mr. Mike Gonzalez. I like that segue. We're really getting the hang of this thing here, huh? Yeah, you like that? Okay, so Gonzo. He came in after that lead. Fresh inning, destroyed the game. I mean, and he he doesn't even look good on the mound. Like, he doesn't look in control of any one pitch. And that's alarming, I think. The hallmark of Michael Gonzalez is just... He falls off to third base, like, every pitch. And you look at him, and you're just like, how could anybody watch this guy pitch and think, man, we really need to sign him to close baseball games? I guess Andy (laughs) McPhail, but I don't understand how. I mean... Well, here's the thing. You look at Mike Gonzalez's career numbers, and they're great. They're, like, really great. Uh, He has a 2.81 ERA for his career, and... Outside of these past two years, that's all coming in the National League. So maybe you want to add on a couple points, but that's still a sub three three ERA over quite a lot of innings. I mean, he's in his ninth season now. You can't be a bad pitcher, even with his weird mechanics, and pitch to that low in ERA. And I mean, I. We haven't seen that picture in Baltimore. Nope. I guess I mean, the second half of last season, we saw better days of Michael Gonzalez. Because, to be fair, and I don't want to be fair, but I'm going to be, uh, he, he was hurt, apparently, and that's why he just did bad the first week of last season. Because well, once he, he was on the DL for, you know, two or three months and came back, then he did a lot better, but... Yeah. Do you think he's hurt now? I have, I guess I have no idea question. if he's hurt now or not, but he certainly hasn't been great uh, early in this season, too. Although with the small sample size, five innings pitched, a 10.8 ERA still. Well, yeah, but, I mean, you look at the underlying numbers there. I mean, he's walking as many guys as he strikes out. That's bad. It's, it's, it's really bad. Um, and this was a guy who, before the season, I was sort of uh, – clamoring for a little bit uh much to uh, i i guess i gotta eat some crow here for it but uh, i wanted the orioles to name him the closer because you know i thought maybe we could get back a little bit of the uh draft pick compensation that we lost for him in the first place but boy i can't think of any situation where it would be appropriate to throw him out there right now 10 run game maybe if we're losing, if we're, if we're by losing 10, by but, ten, so it won't matter how then, much more. Then it's just embarrassing. Like we put out Josh Roop last Saturday, we were down by seven or eight. Right, Josh Roop definitely made that one worse. Uh, yeah, I mean that was just—it was embarrassing. Like I don't want to sit here and like I, the Orioles are going to lose a lot of games. And they're going to lose a lot of games by a huge margin. And I can understand that, and I will watch that. But I can't watch it when they come and bring in Josh Roop with the bases loaded to face Alex Rodriguez. Like, that's not even trying to, not even not win, but that's not even trying to not embarrass yourself. You're pretty much begging Alex Rodriguez to rack up a Grand Slam in a completely meaningless situation like that. I mean... No better yeah. time for him to pad his career stats than right there. <laughs> and he gave up the elusive home run to slap-hitting Brett Gardner. And I think that's pretty much cause for DFAing right on the spot. I, Josh Roop, and uh, taking this one from Stacy, Josh Roop rhymes with poop, and uh, that's pretty much <laughs> what we're going to get out of him. Okay, so my next disappointment on my list is Mark Reynolds, Orioles third baseman. Uh, it sort of feels a little cheap to keep bashing on all these guys on offense because there's not really anybody really uh, 
picking up for anybody else, is there? No, the Orioles entering tonight had the second worst on base percentage in the majors at 287. So that's yeah. that's awful. Uh, the best the best in the majors Cesar is Sturis. 358 right now, which is the St. Louis Cardinals. Wow, big difference. Wow, where'd the Cardinals come from? I mean, Pujols isn't hitting yet, and they're still leading the league in on base percentage. Go figure. Baseball's a funny game. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so, Mark Reynolds, um, I guess there's, you know, there's only so much you can really expect with a guy who, coming into the season, you know, well, he's going to strike out a lot, he's going to hit a lot of home runs, he's going to walk a lot, he's going to play some sort of third base defense, and maybe it will be okay, and maybe it won't. Um, but I haven't seen anything from him yet, really. Have you? No. I mean, uh, it, it seems like every time, and we saw some of this in the game tonight, where Buckholz was just throwing him the changeup, and he was just swinging over it every time. And it just seems like that's how people are pitching him. And either he strikes out or doesn't make terribly solid contact on it, which... It's probably why he's batting 179. I guess the thing that I'm worried about is if you look at his numbers, and uh, when I looked at his numbers, it didn't count today, tonight, tonight's right. performance. And he did double, which was nice. He was one of the only extra base hits on the gauges. When you don't hit extra base hits, that's how you get 12 hits and score four runs in a game. Um, but uh, his... K numbers are down. He's not striking out at the same rate that he was in the past three seasons in Arizona. And he's not swinging and missing as much as he was. And when you look at things like swinging and missing and swinging at balls and making contact on strikes and things like that, those numbers tend to uh, stabilize for a player a lot faster. Uh, Like you talk about a small sample size, And when you're looking at, well, he's making a lot more contact, the sample size required for that to be useful information is a lot smaller than, say, he's hitting a ton of home runs this year. Like uh, some of the Yankees, where they have 20% of all of their hits are home runs. And that's obviously not going to continue. But uh, I guess that makes sense that you can judge that with a smaller sample size, because that's going to reveal the player's true skill level at judging balls and strikes and getting to the bat to them faster, at least. Well, though, what they do with the contact is more up to chance. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Mark Reynolds' contact numbers are up, and his power numbers are way down, and I'm, I'm, I guess I'm wondering if it's something the Orioles have changed his approach on to reduce the strikeouts and Mark Reynolds strikes out a lot. I mean, he owns the top three places on the all-time record for strikeouts in a season. One of our Camden chat prop uh, bets in the preseason was whether Mark Reynolds' batting average times a thousand or his number of strikeouts would be greater. I'm pretty sure I picked the strikeouts uh, if I remember right on that one. Uh, I'm not sure I would take that bet. I'm not sure what I picked. I, I probably took the batting average. Um, but, you know, if if they're changing his approach to reduce his strikeouts, which is good in a vacuum, but if that approach keeps him from hitting 40 home runs, then he's not going to be a useful player. Right. You'd rather him go back to being the three true outcomes kind of player and just accept that he's going to strike out. I mean, he's, uh, he's a flawed player anyway. The, you know, he. I don't think there's any way he's going to become like a superstar, which is why we got him for one relief pitcher. But uh, Dad, hey, don't forget about Cam Mikalaya. We gave him up too. Okay, one relief pitcher and one freakishly tall dude who's thrown a baseball before. <laughs> that's a that's a fair description. Poor Cam. Was it Cam Mikalaya or Cam Mikolio? I I don't think I was ever given a definitive answer on that. Uh, no, actually, I don't. I think 
like I have a memory in my head of hearing Jim Hunter say Cam Mikalaya, but that doesn't mean it was right. <laughs> yeah. And going back to ridiculous nicknames, obviously if he's Mikolio, then you can harken back to the Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. Great Bungholio days. You can't pass up chances like that, really. But either way, he's not on the Orioles anymore, so well, yeah. we don't get to get to make that one. But yeah, that's why we got Mark Reynolds for those guys because. If he was worth something, we would have had to give up something that was... But uh, I guess I, I just hope that they're not trying to make him strike out less, and as a result, his power goes away, because without his power, he's going to be a disappointment every time we go through a disappointment list like this, I think, unfortunately. A guy who stands at third base, makes some good plays every now and again, uh, and then makes some head-scratcher plays too, it seems like. Throw a ball away here and there. Get the ball stuck in the webbing of his glove. That, that was, was weird. weird. That was a weird one. Have you ever seen that happen any other time ever? I, mean, I don't the ball remember. Literally went through his glove. I don't remember seeing that. Although, I don't know. I guess you go to something like the Ed Rogers getting the ball stuck <laughs> in his shirt play. That was probably weirder. But uh, boy, maybe one of these uh, Camden casts we should do like a top ten embarrassing plays from the 2000s for the Orioles. That's a, a good idea. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. I don't want to get into too many because we can save that for another time. We, we would have to be pretty depressed to... Yeah, that could to probably take up a whole hour <laughs> in and of itself. <laughs> disappointing, crazy Orioles plays from the 2000s. Ed Rogers would make that list for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, I guess my last disappointment... And then I want to stop talking about disappointments. Because right, we can move on we, to positive we, we things. We won tonight. Why are we talking about disappointments? I know. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a downer tonight. I'm <laughs> Debbie Downer. I don't know what the deal is. It's because you had to watch Kevin Gregg save a game and walk off. I think off. that was it. At least he doesn't have like some sort of weird, horrible routine he does after every save. Like, like Brian Wilson's got that X thing he does with his arms that's sort of like... That reminds me of late 90s WWF wrestling, where the whole D-Generation <laughs> X, they would do the X, and that was the suck it thing. That's pretty oh, much yeah. what Brian Wilson gets me reminded of there. I mean, maybe that gets him amped, you know? He's just never kind of moved on from that. At least he doesn't like do like a chest-pounding thing like Jonathan Papelbon or anything like that. But right. He does not make it fun to watch the Orioles win, which is, I think, the worst possible thing I can think of to say about Kevin Gregg. But we're not talking about Kevin Gregg anymore. We're not. No more. I'm putting a nix on that for the rest of this. Um, so let's talk about Vladimir Guerrero. Um, okay. Who I think what we've seen from him has to be the worst case scenario for him being signed. I mean, it, it's early, and I think Vlad's going to – bounce back a little bit, but can you picture a worse April uh, than Vlad Guerrero's hitting and Luke Scott's sometimes adventures out in left field? It, it hasn't really helped to vindicate the Orioles' decision. No, Vlad Guerrero needs to hit some more home runs if that's going to be a good idea, uh, turn out to be a good idea. Well, what Vlad has not done is walk. He has not walked at all, and um, ESPN, uh, the Sweet Spot Network, just wrote a blog uh, last night about how Vlad has not walked at all, and how if he goes through the whole season and has at least 500 plate appearances and doesn't walk 11 times, if he has 10 or fewer walks, he will be the 25th such player in the history of baseball. And the second former MVP winner after uh, Pudge Rodriguez, the catcher for the Washington Nets. Um, so I guess my question to you, Mark, is when do you think Vlad will walk? He, he hasn't gotten into a lot of three-ball counts, um, so he's not exactly getting a lot of opportunities to walk. But Yeah, he doesn't want to walk, so it's hard to say when he would it's it seems like it has to happen eventually just because he'll come up with some come up to a pitcher who's throwing them so far away not even he'll swing at them but well 
when i don't know i think we could see another month go by and we'll be sitting at memorial day and thinking man when's vlad guerrero gonna walk i mean i think that could happen walks aren't like an important part of a guy like vlad's game because vlad is a power hitter but right you have to hit for a lot of power to make zero walks like an acceptable reality and boy i i i think Vlad right now is running into a couple fastballs, but I I don't know if he's going to hit for enough power to make a zero walk rate work. Most of his hits are, he pokes a pitch just between first and second baseman, not very hard, or, you know, a soft liner that just dies in kind of in a Derek Jeter-esque fashion. Ooh, bite your tongue, he had, bite your tongue. Had, had no business swinging at it in the first place, you know. Uh, but yeah, sometimes he catches mistake pitches. He's not so toast for that, but wow. And then when he gets on base, he's got the old <laughs> slow knees. He can't, I mean, even when he's running it out, and you can, you can watch when he is, he's he's going full tilt. He's a gradual sprinter. Vladimir Guerrero's full tilt. <laughs> it's is, very uh, entertaining to watch. I'm entertained yeah. as a baseball fan. He, he just looks so strange. He, he looks like Frankenstein's monster out there. Like he was built an amalgamation of several different parts and doesn't quite know how to make them all work in the right rhythm. But I mean, it's working for him, sort of. But it's very funny. It is tonight when he went from first to third <laughs> on the double, and he just kind of—if you didn't see it on TV—it was really a funny play. He just just kind of like he just fell over and just laid on third base when he was <laughs> getting in there. It's really one of the sillier things I've ever seen. And then the camera was on his face and he just like shook his head and had this big grin on his face. It's like, you know, I can't be saying, man, Vladimir Guerrero sucks. I hate Vladimir Guerrero when I see stuff like that. But man, maybe he could walk like once. Just, just get it out of the way. Instead of just so we're not sitting yeah. on zero walks. I mean. I, I would take one walk. That'd be that'd be okay. But for now, uh, he's been a disappointment. I mean, there's no way, no way around it. I mean, he's an expensive player we brought in, and he's showing that he's at least 36 years old, and that's sad too. At least. So speaking of him not walking, so that's going to keep his on-base percentage the same as his batting average. And one of the things we want to do as this podcast moves along is kind of have a stat of the podcast. And so this time we wanted to talk a bit about on-base percentage. Start out pretty simple because batting average, obviously, you get your hits divided by your at-bats. And that's the... You know, that's the stat your father knows, your grandfather knows, and that's just what everybody talks about because that's, uh, that's what everybody knows. But on-base percentage is, in some ways, a better way to measure how you're helping your team's offense because if you get on base, you did not make an out. And as the Earl of Baltimore would say, your most precious things are that your 27 is, outs. I, I so, have a copy of Weaver on Strategy, which is... It's not just recommended reading. It is required reading. Um, have you read it? Mark Brown? You know, I haven't, so I know that's blasphemy. I've actually never read the well, Weaver Strategy. Well, I tell you what. Book, so I should rectify this, that. And uh, I'll wait here. And how about, how about that be my homework assignment before the next podcast? You can quiz me on it uh, so, in a couple weeks. So... Um, in Weaver on Strategy, which, again, required reading, Mark. <laughs> and everyone listening who hasn't read it, let's not have just me um, getting the score in here. Earl Weaver uh, laid out several different laws for managing a baseball team. And his fourth law, uh, you, you almost had it verbatim, in fact. Your most precious possessions on offense are your 27 outs. And um, the other sort of analogy that I hear a lot is... Uh, if you look at like a basketball game or a hockey game or a soccer game, they're all timed, but there's no clock in in baseball. The only clock is the outs. So the end of the game is when you don't have enough runs and you've given up 27 outs. And uh, on base percentage is, is the measure of how well 
you extend the game, basically, is how I've heard it described. Where if you don't make an out, the game goes one hitter longer because you, you've you reached base. And you can't score if you don't reach base is, is the other sort of important part of, of it. And you can't win if you don't score. Um, uh, I guess the other thing for me is I don't like oversimplifying things. And if you just look at batting average, that's like a vast oversimplification of things. Because it, it's, for one thing, it's saying all hits are are created the same, and they're obviously not, because if one guy has 40 singles and one guy has 40 home runs, they have the same batting average. That'd be a really weird season, but... <laughs> that would be the ultimate of flukiness, I would um, have to say. Maybe we'll see it from Jose Bautista, like, next year. Or yeah, or, uh, or hey, Posada on the Yankees has nine hits and six of them are home runs. That's pretty weird. Um, but... So, so that's one thing, and that's not really part of on-base percentage, but walks and, and reaching base via things that aren't a hit, hit-by-pitches, that, that sort of thing. You know, that's the sort of thing that batting average forgets about. And because of that, as a, as a culture, I guess, baseball has undervalued walks drastically for a very long time. And if you're on base by a walk... That's an important event that has happened. Like you're, you're clearly helping your team win. So, on base percentage, you you add walks and hit by pitches to your hits, and and there you go. Um, uh, I, I guess the other thing some people talk about is, uh, oh, if a guy's just walking, like that that's not like a single is a lot more valuable than a walk, but. If you look at the high on-base percentage type guys, they're not just guys who take a lot of walks. I mean, they're also very good hitters in terms of batting average. If you... Because you know they have a good idea of the strike zone, so they have a better eye to see their pitch, and they can lay off and get a walk, or if they get their pitch... Sure. Uh, you look at a guy like Nick Barkakis, and I would say that Nick Markakis is a high on-base percentage guy, quote-unquote. Would you take any issue with that? I definitely agree with that. He gets good walk rates, so his on-base percentage is consistently one of the highest, if not right. the highest, but on the Orioles. But 81% of his on-base percentage is him hitting the baseball and getting on-base via singles, doubles, triples, and home runs. And, I mean, that's kind of an overwhelming majority of it. So, you know, it, it's not just on-base percentage, it's all walks. It's very, very much so hits. And in that way, I mean, it, it takes batting average and makes it better. So it's important. The biggest illustration for me when you think about it is if you get a guy who's batting like 300, but he doesn't walk a lot, then you can have somebody who maybe bats 270 and he gets his on base up to like 370 with walks. And really that guy has probably helped you score more runs because he's on base just so much more than, you know, you see a guy hitting 300. I think 300 batting is the threshold where everybody's like, oh, wow, he must be doing good. He's hitting 300. But not all 300 averages are created equal. Right. And, and if you're only getting on base 30% of the time, you're not doing very well. That's Cesar Estoris level. Bad. Last year's Cesar Asturias didn't even get that level. Well, that's what Cesar Asturias wishes he could be then. And it's still really bad. But, um... Oh, wow. His career on base is 295. So there you go. Cesar. There you go. Wow. Um, plus, like I said before, if you're getting on base 37% of the time as opposed to 30% of the time, your games are being extended by that that much. And you're getting... Not just on base so that you can help score runs, but you're helping your team get more opportunities to get on base and, and more opportunities to drive in runs. So, there you go. There we go. So there's your on base percentage. Sort of super basic primer. Uh, we'll eventually get into more complicated stats in subsequent podcasts. Eventually we might get the dreaded 
How do we pronounce this? <laughs> Woe bacon? I don't know. Wobacon? I, I was calling it Wobacon, but that doesn't feel right. I think without bacon is, is... Without bacon? Yeah. I, I still think that has to be a joke. Somebody's just going to start laughing at me if I... <laughs> They're already laughing now that we're saying this on the podcast. but uh, Yeah, we, we've fallen yeah. into their trap. But I, so maybe next time we'll talk about a pitching stat. We might do, oh, I don't know. Do you say this one? Do you say fielding independent pitching or do you say fit? Uh, I say fit. Uh, the, somebody okay. somebody we'll... on, like, not graphs, which, if you don't know, fan graphs is the, the baseball statistics site. And they have sort of a sister sub-site called not graphs, which is – Sort of a strange blend of humor and and non-stat based writing about baseball and not graphs. Uh, probably about a month and a half ago, did a how to pronounce all these different advanced statistics and and I don't remember what they said about FIP. If it was well, FIP, we might FIP. go with that one next time. Probably a pitching one. And speaking of pitchers, Andrew is very excited about Zach Britton and to a lesser extent Jake Arrieta looking pretty strong. Oh yeah early through the season. Are you, so. are you saying you're not excited about Jake Arrieta? I was giving you the chance to, you know, talk there, so I'm not dominating I, the conversation. I there. think you're saying uh, you're not excited about these guys. Why would you not be excited about these guys? Well, I am excited. I never said I wasn't. When did you start being excited about these guys? I was excited about Zach Britton as soon as I watched him pitch his first game. And I was I was fortunate I got to see him in the opening part of that Texas doubleheader. I was in the stands there, and he just looked awesome. He actually had a no-hitter going through about four innings, and there was a grounder that just kind of Brian Roberts didn't dive for. Stacy and I were watching that one from the stands, and we were like... We didn't have the greatest angle, but it really looked like Robert should have dove. We were we were sitting there trying to figure out, what, okay, if it was the seventh inning, would he have dove to try and preserve a no-no or something? But anyway, he's, I mean, he got hit around a bit in Cleveland, I guess, but he's looked. Well, he's had, he's had his nice. bumps, but yeah. pitchers have bumps, and that's that's nothing to be concerned with. But oh man, he just he looks so. He he looks like a veteran out there. He he. He does not look like a guy who's only got what four or five starts under his belt. Right. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. He's it's 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 hard for me to to fathom that this guy is an Oriole, and here he is, and he's pitching as well as could reasonably be hoped. We're just so used to Orioles pitching prospects being the likes of I don't know Hayden Penn or Adam Lowen, Adam Lowen. Yeah. and. So, I mean, I think it's been like that really with all of our, you know, the, the whatever you want to call them, the cavalry, the young guns, just any of them that come up. I'm just remembering the, uh, you know, I don't know, Radimus Liz's of the world, and I'm like the Daniel Cabrera's of the world, and I'm just expecting this to, to them to be that. And so when, you know, you get Jake Arrieta, Zach Britton, uh, Brad Ferguson, I guess. Mm, Brian Mattis. Yeah, not I mean, Ferguson's Ferguson's probably not going to get back to his fluke, you know, rookie year. But no, um, no. I mean, he wasn't that Brit- good. Well, Chris so. Tillman also not looking so great. So maybe that's a bad example. But Mattis, Arietta, Britton, all those guys, plenty of reason to be excited for. Uh, him, you right? know, you don't want to jump ahead of yourself or anything, but you can you can definitely understand how this was the plan, and and you can sort of see it coming together now and that's really cool just on its own um as sort of an abstract concept i guess uh to see like here are our pitchers and and now they're they're pitching in baltimore and and they're finding success i mean the other day against the yankees jake arietta four pitches in he looked terrible it was single right home that, run. i think my comment there was like we knew Chris Tillman was available in the bullpen since he'd been skipped for that start, and I'm thinking, okay, we're going to get him in, like, the second inning. And then Jake pulled it together, and, uh, you know, I, he had a not a great outing, but he toughed it out, and that was, uh, you know, you got to see pitchers get through those outings too. And, uh, I mean, you're seeing with, with Arietta especially, because last year, his rookie year, Nothing to really write home about, I guess, is, is what you would say. Um, 
definitely his numbers in the minors said he's going to struggle for a while when he first gets up here. And, you know, he's probably not going to be like an ace or, or even a number two uh, in that arbitrary ranking of, of pitchers. But um, he's really turned it around in some really important ways so far this year. And again, small sample size um, is sort of the theme of, of the season for, for now. But, you know, he's missing more so bats. So far he's striking out yeah, more right. and walking fewer. And, and he's controlling the walks. Uh, he, he seems to struggle with his mechanics and, and his command as a result of that. Uh, basically from pitch to pitch sometimes. Um, where it will he'll write it and then it'll come undone and then He'll have to write it again, and uh, you can you can tell there, there's still going to be bumps, and like I said, that's normal. But his stuff just it looks really good. It, it looks a lot better than I remember it looking last year, and it's it's getting a lot easier to to make Jake Arrieta's watching like Stacy Stacy Long the uh, the head mistress of uh, Camden Chat. Our benevolent dictator right. <laughs> of Camden Chat. Uh, she likes to say, Happy Zach Britton Day. And, uh, you know, I- I'm not at the point yet, but I can start to see myself saying, Happy Jake Arietta Day. And then, a couple weeks, by the time we talk again, we could be talking about Brian Mattis coming back and pitching his first Yeah, Mattis, weeks. last I saw, is supposed to come back in mid-May, so maybe another three weeks from now, and then get all of those guys in the rotation. That's going to be pretty awesome. Yeah. Bats will wake up, hopefully, and uh, maybe we'll get back to where we're surprising some teams. It's like, man, where'd those Orioles come from? It's just, it's... I guess the uh, the dark cloud around the silver lining is this is it. This is not really anybody else back in the in the minors behind. These right, you guys get beyond right that, now. and we're going down to like getting excited about guys on the Delmarva Shorebirds roster, like uh, Manny Machado or something. Yeah. And I mean, even then, that's position players and not really pitchers. Yeah. So cross our fingers, Mattis, Britton, Arietta, even Tillman. Uh, there's no reason whatsoever to write off Chris Tillman. Uh, John Sickles, who writes about uh, scouting in the minor leagues and and some some draft stuff, if I'm not mistaken, for SB Nation, he just wrote up a piece about Chris Tillman um, yesterday or the day before, and the theme was basically he's 23 years old. He's found ginormous success in success in the high minors, and He's. You talk about his fastball and his fastball velocity, and I sort of feel like we get too hung up on that sort of thing, um, a lot. Where, like, for example, not to humble brag or anything, I was sitting in the press box uh, for Chris Tillman's start against the Twins, and every single pitch, for at least the first two innings, it was everybody's eyes are not on Tillman; they're on the the velocity reading. The, the radar gun reading on the on the screen. And, you know, it's just his fastball, it's straight, it's slow. And despite that, he's having success. It's limited success, but there's no reason, no reason whatsoever to, to give up on this. Right, the whole point right really of this year is slap him in the number five starter spot and just let him go on right. Don't have him on the Norfolk Baltimore shuttle, you know. See what, see what you've got. Knowledge is power, that sort of thing. Yep. Unfortunately, that means we get painful outings from time to time, but hopefully those will get fewer and fewer. Well, you, d- you don't want them next year when we might legitimately be looking to, to make a splash in the, the, the pennant races. Uh, knock on wood, right. bite my tongue. Maybe actually buy high-priced free agents this year instead of get like, overpay for the second-tier, third-tier. Who knows? Let's not get ahead no, of ourselves. It's careful. April. Let's not talk about next offseason. That's too depressing. <laughs> what we can do looking forward is uh, we got two more games against Boston. We're just kind of going to gloss over and move on to the next series after Boston is going to be up against the Chicago White Sox. So they're actually in last in the AL. Surprising right now. I'm surprised. With a Are you surprised? Ten and fourteen record. I am surprised just because it seems like White Sox. You just expect to do better, but. Maybe that's a function of both Cleveland and Kansas City are 
above 500, which was unexpected. But anyway, one big problem for Chicago is they've already got four blown saves from their closer coming into this year, Matt Thornton. And he's actually been replaced, maybe temporarily, maybe not, uh, in that role. Pretty amazing stuff. I guess that goes to show even a proven closer can just have an off well, year, off three weeks. Again, I, I mean, know. he's thrown. he hasn't even thrown seven innings yet. Uh, it, it's way too early for the White Sox. And I know... They're in a like they expect to be in a serious pennant race. They can't afford to lose games in the ninth inning, but it's way, way, way too early to say Matt Thornton is is finished after six and two thirds innings. Um, so ESP, yeah, he, his card says seven exactly right now. So he's got two point four three. He must have pitched seven innings. Though. It's possible he did. Um, but well, I mean. Uh, it's tough. Uh, I guess that's the life of the closer. Um, Will Oman's on the Chicago White Sox. Hey, what about I love that? Will Oman. I bet he's not doing very well, though. 8.22 ERA with 7.2 inning pitched. I, I'm not a huge fan of Rick Vandenherk, the player the Orioles traded Will Oman for, but the Orioles timed that trade basically perfectly, where they, they right. signed Will Oman. He was a veteran. He pitched really well for the Orioles, like way, way, way above his head, and then they got rid of him and got something, a spare part for him maybe, but they got something for him. Right. Maybe he would have turned into something. The Incredible Herc, as we have liked to call him last year. But, uh... So, okay, but back to the White Sox. Um, So they are also having problems with batting. It's funny. They're sort of uh, they're... a mirror of the Orioles right now. They've got some yep. good starters, uh, some some problems in late relief maybe, but their bullpen's okay. It'll it'll certainly be okay in the long run, I think. Um, and then they can't hit, which is weird. Like, they signed Adam Dunn. They have all these great hitters, Carlos Quentin, Paul Canerco. Not hitting. That's weird. That's mind-blowing. Fangraphs actually rates the White Sox offense collectively below the Orioles based on wins above replacement, which is interesting because the White Sox team on base is 306 compared to the Orioles 287. Uh, so you would have figured the White Sox would be doing better. Well, no, that that probably takes not. into account fielding metrics, and those aren't very useful at, at one-month intervals, I, I don't think. But if you, no, if you rate them by... Some some overall hitting metric like um, OPS, uh, I I would have a hard time believing the White Sox are behind the Orioles, and in fact I don't believe that because they're not. So, or or are they? Hold on, let me check. I don't know what you're even looking at. So they have some guys hitting home runs. Paul Klinierko and Carlos Quentin both have six, and then nobody else has more than like three. Actually, those guys, wow, they're really kind of carrying the team on their back, I guess, because we got uh, Kanirko with a 376 on base percentage, Quentin with a 366, and nobody else who's a regular player is really above about 312. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess, uh, you know, Alex Rios has sort of turned back into the guy the Blue Jays could not get rid of, and then... Magically, the White Sox got rid of him, and he sort of turned his career around, and now he he's stumbling out of the gate. Um, he's gone the uh, he's gone the 180 back to where he started after doing the but, 180 once he got to Chicago. I mean, I guess. you you look at the White Sox lineup on paper; they have what I would consider three really good hitters: Adam Dunn and Carlos Quentin and Paul Canerco. And then, like, Alexei Ramirez is pretty good. And then, like, there's a lot of, like, Gordon Beckham and A.J. Pruszynski and Juan Pierre and Omar Vizquel. I, I, you know, I guess if, like, uh, Quentin and Canerco are hitting right now, but Dunn goes down, there's right. not a nobody, whole lot else Nobody back else is hitting yeah. on that team. That's pretty bad for them. So, I guess the key to the series, and you'll probably hear it on Masson all, all, all 
weekend. Right, our, our app see a scouting report <laughs> on those guys or whatever. It's it is a, don't let Paul Canerco and Carlos Quentin beat you, because nobody else is going to beat you right now. So let's see. According to the schedule right now, the pitchers we're getting in that series, game one is going to be John Danks matched up against Jake Arrieta. That's tough. Game two is Philip Humber. I might have said his name wrong. Philip Humber. Against Chris Philip Humber just he took a no hitter into the sixth of the seventh last night against the Yankees. So he he's um, one of the uh, things the White Sox are becoming increasingly known for is picking pitchers up off the scrap heap and teaching them a cutter, and then they become useful pitchers all of a sudden because they're armed with this really useful cut fastball. So. Well, we'll see what we get from him. So let me think if let me see if I remember my Philip Humber right. He was on the he was on the Mets, Mets and they traded him to the Twins with the uh, Johan yeah, Santana. Yeah, disastrous blockbuster for the for the Twins. But I don't know how. Well, he, he got released. He I I think he was on the A's and got released. He ended up on the Royals and got released, and now he's on the White Sox. So scrap heap pickup. Oh. Good for the White Sox. The Orioles know a thing or two about scrappy pickups. We love Jeremy Guthrie. And how. And how. Okay. Game three, Maryland's own Gavin Floyd opposing pitcher is Zach Britton. Severna Park's own. Right there. The, the yeah. only major league player I am aware of uh, that counts from Severna Park. <laughs> right. One who might actually, you know, want to come and play. At, at one point... Uh, a couple of years ago, I, I I might be making this up, or it might have been one of uh, uh, Mr. Nower's uh, make-believe April Fool's Day jokes, but I, I believe Brian Roberts was being looked at by the White Sox, and, and the the key player coming back was Gavin Floyd. That is correct. That was not made up by um, him. Uh it was him. I think, if I remember right, it was Brian Roberts for Gavin Floyd, and then they wanted another player back, and it was like Chris Getz or something, and the White Sox were like, "Oh, that's too much. We're not giving you another player." And Chris Getz yeah. is gone. So, like, uh, I think he's on the Royals now. He is. He is on the Royals, as I recall. Uh, but it... so that's actually a four-game series, and the last pitching matchup is going to be Mark Burley against Jeremy oh. Guthrie. Mark Burley is off to a bit of a rough start. Well, he, he's... In the sense that he's got a 5.4 ERA, but he's only thrown about well, 32 he's not innings, striking so. anybody out, so... We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, he definitely, you know, you're, you're not, not going to write off Mark Burley after one month of starts. Um, so. so that's what we got. I like our chances there for two or three. Maybe I'm just getting back into the orange cooler. <laughs> well, we did win today. Uh, yeah, I don't uh, know. that's true. I'd be talking about is, sweeps. Is there any specific thing I guess you're looking for in that series? Uh, just in general, you want the bats to come alive, obviously. But I really want to start seeing some more offense regularly because getting this feast or famine thing, you know, 11 runs when Carl Pavano starts, great, and then, you know, the next two, three games, you just score like yeah. two. Or, uh, That's not as fun to well, see. Well, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. Those those look like some pretty tough matchups. Danks, Floyd, those are really good, really, really good pitchers. So, But hey, they're going to see some of our really, really good pitchers, too. So, This just goes to show you how records aren't worth anything. Danks is actually 0-3, and, and he's got his 3.27 a year yeah, right. so far. So just ignore the, the record. I mean, I didn't even look at it because it, it's... Completely meaningless. He had, he's 0-3 because the White Sox aren't hitting. So I guess the thing to look for is uh, our pitchers continuing to make the White Sox not hit. That'd be nice. That would be great. Well, at least we've got guys we want to see pitching. Well, yeah. Arietta Tillman, Britton, Guthrie. Yeah, that's, that's pretty perfect. Tillman, if we get a solid outing from Tillman, that should be, well, that's a big if, but that would be, could be some low-scoring games for those who... Or into for entertainment purposes only, looking at stuff like the over/under. I don't know. I'd I'd be feeling good on the under for most of these <laughs> yeah. probably. Although the under's probably going to end up being pretty low, since none of these teams are hitting. But 
That's but a team that is hitting is the the people we're going to be seeing right after the White Sox, the Kansas. Yes, right after them is the Kansas City Royals, who are in second place in the AL Central right now with a 12 and 11 record, two and a half games behind the Cleveland Indians. Things are all backwards in the Central right now. I have to admit, I don't know a ton about. Kansas City, except I'm really excited that Bruce Chen is on there and not sucking so far. I don't know why. I like well, Bruce Chen with his goofy joke yeah, of the day. Yeah, I miss the, the goofy Dumbotron. joke of the day. Here, here's the thing about Kansas City, and they've gotten the surprising label, I guess, to start the season, but look at the guys who are leading their hit attack. You got Jeff Francoeur, who's on his fourth team now, Wilson Bedemit, Melky Cabrera, uh, Billy Butler, who is actually a good player, and then Alex Gordon, who, you know, if you want to talk about Matt Wieters being the greatest bust of all time, I don't know how you've ignored Alex Gordon in that conversation, but those are the guys. The thing that's crazy about the Royals is you want to, if you think about the batting average on balls in play stat, Alex Gordon is batting 437 on balls in play, Wilson Bedemit 463. Jeff Francoeur and Billy Butler are both 343. So that would be what they would call, I think, unsustainable. Yeah, that's one word for it, I think. So that's going to fall back to earth, you would have to assume. That would be the most freakish season ever if, like, Wilson Bedemit's sitting over 400 at the end of the year or something. And their pitching isn't really doing all that great because their best starter right now is... Yeah, and I think any Oriole fan... When you're saying that, that's... Um, you know, that says it yeah. all about your Any Any Oriole fan can no tell you No matter how early or late Bruce in the Chen season. the leader of your pitching staff and what's going to happen to your season, unfortunately. So who, who the heck else do they have? Luke Hoshaver? Uh, Kyle. Looking at a 560 ADRA. Kyle Davies. Jeff Francis. 23. I mean, that's... What happened to Brian Bannister? I just Brian Bannister went to Japan know. and then left. Uh, I don't know which team he was on. Um, he left the team after the earthquake and then never came back is, is the last I heard of him. Was he afraid I, of I don't Japan know. after the earthquake? No, I shouldn't make fun of that. I'm just going to... I've already offended people Ooh. on Camden Chat this week. I'm just going to step it, It's there. weird. You know, Brian Bannister was a very smart dude. Um, uh, he understood the advanced metrics and tried to adjust his approach to incorporate like well I should give up less home runs that will make me a better pitcher so he started trying to throw ground balls and it didn't work out for him because the bottom line was he just wasn't a very good pitcher which was too bad because he was like a smart guy and it seems like there's not enough smart guys in in sports and the ones that are smart it it seems like they get run out of town Uh, I know that's Sort of a weird thing to say when the Orioles have Stanford alum Jeremy Guthrie on their pitching staff. But That's right. He did transfer to Stanford, so it's nice. Actually, I, I didn't know that. So you've uh, you've bested me on Jeremy Guthrie well, he, trivia he, he here went tonight. To BYU. He was, you know. Obvious. I should have known that. Obviously. Um, but yeah, the Royals pitching staff. I mean, that there's nobody. Nobody. They're doomed. They are doomed. Sorry, Royals fans. I know you're out there. But Let's see. It looks like we can posit that we'll get Jeff Francis, Kyle Davies, and then Bruce Chen, maybe, just based on what's lined up right now. Well, I mean, you know, Bruce Chen, it, it's sort of like Freddie Garcia the other day. If Bruce Chen beats the Orioles, I'm just going to I'm gonna cut a finger off or something. Dude. <laughs> oh, don't say stuff like that. It might actually happen. That's the worst I, part. I wouldn't want to right? lose one of your fingers. But you just, you just never know when we're going to come in and just uh, you know have some random pitcher have a perfect game through five innings, and we're all just sitting there smashing our heads into the desks. But yeah, uh, Kansas City's run is it's nice. It's very nice. I'm very happy for all those excited Royals fans if they exist or whatever. Um, but it's it's doomed. There's no way at all they're going to be able to keep up their hit attack, and they obviously don't have the pitching to sustain 
what, what they're Well, doing. here's hoping the Orioles will be the one to bring them back Although, to Earth. The I Royals guess. have a fantastic farm system. They're just they're loaded. If if we see them later on in right. the season, that's what everybody's been saying. Very very good, exciting young players. So they're just not quite there yet. Hopefully, they stay not quite there yet all the time. Yeah, go go beat season. the Tigers when when you play the Tigers and just lose to the Orioles. It'll be fine. That that sounds very agreeable to me. Let's send them a memo and uh, make sure we put the right TPS report. <laughs> cover on there where we fax it and uh yeah so now that i'm making office space jokes yep, I, think I think we're scraping the bottom of the barrel we're actually over one hour uh here it's too easy enough. it's it's just too easy this, to get going this so. podcasting stuff is really addictive it, it well really i is. hope so. you all are enjoying it as much as i am and i hope as much as mark is i'm sure even though you know I am. I hope. I hope people he, listen he to me. He has to put up with Otherwise, me. You guys have to put up with me. And I've never liked putting up with. Not me, even so. my mom is listening to this podcast yet, though. So I don't know what that's about. But my mom doesn't know what podcasts are. I so have that's no idea. If my why. mom my, and my mom's on Camden Chat, which is it's nice. Hi, mom. Uh, I don't know if she she watches or listens rather. But. <laughs> Hi, Andrew's mom. I'm but sure anyway, she enjoys it. for now. This yes. For now, let's go ahead and sign off. So for Andrew Gibson, I am Mark Brown. We're bringing you Camden Chat. This is Birdland, and we are 